Hi, my name is Alexa, and this is Queen of the Ring. May Young. All right. Disqualification. What? You little <laughs> Let's go. Bubba Dudley has just powerbombed May Young from the stage to the floor through a table. Today's episode is the second part of my series on May Young. In our last episode, we kind of went over her early life how she got into the industry, who she met, some trouble that she got into, the gods that she found along the way, and her relationship with wrestling itself. Today, we're going to be continuing on throughout her life and find her back at the Attitude Era, 1999, wrestling, getting down to her skibbies and smoking cigars in bed with Mark Henry. We'll see how we get there, though. Where we pick up with the great Mae Young is around the year 1949. Mae was still wrestling for Mildred and her then-husband, Buddy Wolf. That same year, she agreed to train a new girl that they had coming in, and her name was Lillian Ellison. She would become known as the Fabulous Moolah, and she and Mae's careers would parallel each other for decades to come. I wonder if they had any idea at this time that they would continue to work with each other if they just saw each other every day and were like, hi. And while Moolah was still on her wobbly baby deer legs, May had been going for like 10 years at this point. It reminds me, this is very specific, so I apologize, but it reminds me of the first season of Total Divas when... (laughs) Nicole and Brie Bella and Natalie Neidhart are like all already veterans and had been working at the WWE for almost 10 years and you know like that's May and Moolah's like Eva Marie just walking in for the first time and as the next couple of years went on May is still working as a villain her heel work is still humorous and still wanting to mortify the audience and everybody around her In this one article I found, it says, quote, Miss Young's demeanor last week was deplorable and a disgrace to the profession. She was the principal participant in the deep pantsing of referee Joe (laughs) Crecci. She pantsed the referee. Everyone was pissed. But just around this pantsing, May had actually become the NWA Florida Women's Champion, the National Wrestling Alliance, a pretty big territory. Because, of course, at this time, much of the United States was taken up by wrestling territories where people would kind of travel through. And after she became the NWA Women's Champion, she and the wrestler Ella Waldock actually became the first tag team Women's Champions for NWA. I mean, it didn't last very long. They ended up dropping their championships immediately to June Byers and Millie Stafford at an event in Mexico, but they were the first ones. And as I said when talking about the territories, at this time, all of the women I'm talking about and many more were touring around and wrestling all over the United States. 
And although it was a grueling process to kind of lug their their bodies and their shit all over the country, they were still made to be dressing as ladies outside of the apparently unladylike squared circle. Stockings, heels, hats, dresses, the whole works were expected of them. They would have their hair set and done, almost creating a perfect canvas just to be tousled around in the ring. Many women would have to be incredibly innovative in their clothing because it was illegal if anything was shown on their bodies. I mean, if men probably showed their butts, they would get fined, but women could be arrested for this type of dismodesty, or if that's a word. They would sew surgical tubing into their straps to prevent these wardrobe malfunctions, and they would do interesting things to make sure that their um, undergarments wouldn't ride up, doing a lot of hairspray, I believe, which is another tactic of drag queens and showgirls. just feel like they're all very similar. But although this was the standard, you know, this classic societal expectation for the way that women look, outside of the ring, it doesn't really seem like May specifically complied aesthetically. Her coworker and friend Penny Banner said about May's dressing, she had men's shoes on, men's pants on, with a zipper up the front, a cigar hanging out of her mouth, and back in 1954, you didn't do that. So at this time that May is bucking all the fucking stereotypes, Mildred Burke and her then-husband, Billy Wolf, parted ways in the early 1950s. May stayed with Mildred, and she began touring all over the world with her. When they traveled through Canada, May actually established and earned respect with the legendary wrestling patriarch, Stu Hart. She even got a chance to wrestle in the famous Hart Dungeon. And the legendary shit did not really stop there, because that same year, 1954, May Young and Mildred Burke headlined the first ever women's wrestling match in Japan. Heading into Japan, May was 31, and with her cigar hanging out of her mouth, she and those who came along virtually introduced the sport to the country. When they all arrived there, they came together for a press conference, and a reporter there describes the scene set. It was a December night in Tokyo, and women wrestlers from all different parts of the world convened to put on a wrestling show. People traveled from the United States, China, Sweden, Australia, and Mexico, all to put on this show in a post-war Tokyo. This fucking thing sounds like a limited series to me, seriously. Don't take that idea from me, I'm trademarking it now. I mean, I'm just kidding, you can if you want to give me a job. But the show itself was a huge hit, and obviously we can see today catalyzed an absolute revolution of women's wrestlers. And we can still actually feel that effect today. As a response, all Japan women's pro wrestling began, and the sport completely changed as a result. And still to this day, Japanese wrestlers, especially Joshis, are always innovating the sport, flipping it on its head and blowing minds across the world. And after that all came to a close, the touring didn't, because May and Mildred continued wrestling around the world. In 1960, May had already been wrestling for almost 20 years. She was 37 and, you know, killing it. There's already articles and interviews deeming her as a veteran because, I mean, damn, she was a veteran 10 years before this. 
but already almost 20 years in the industry, she had wrestled in a majority of continents. She served as her own manager for the last 15 years of her career, and she seemed to just have a good hold on what this industry is and was. All of these little details I'm providing are discussed in this article from the Sand Springs Leader, which is in her hometown in Oklahoma. The reporter writes about May coming to visit her mom and sister, and it's like really their small town newspaper because it lists both of their addresses in the article. Um, The article is all about how May was about to head on another tour, but they tell readers May lived in Fort Meade, Maryland at this time, and apparently she was a little bit of a pardon my French girl boss. I'm sorry, I really should be arrested for that one. But she owned a Ford agency and a service station, and more importantly for us, she had a girls' wrestling school there. I mean, 20 years in the business, and I would understand if she would continue, you know, her journey and monetize training herself. Because there she trained incredibly well-known wrestlers, both Nels, Nell Stewart and Nell Byers, and the fabulous Moolah. Well, not both Nels, like the movie Nell, but just Nell Stewart and Byers. May was a little bit of a troublemaker at this time, and something she really kept in her life, it seems to be, because I think she was just a fan of pranks. For example, from Pat Patterson's book, he describes this situation that was sometime in the early 1960s. Quote, One night around 1 a.m., I heard banging on my door. It was Mae Young wearing only her bra and panties with a martini in her hand. What the hell? Patterson, let me in. He said, what's the matter? She said, don't worry, Pat. I just want to talk bullshit with you. When I read that, I screamed. And it seems like shit just kind of happened to follow May around. um, Because in the year 1960, uh, there was this blind item out of this pop culture like newspaper that says, quote, A nationally famed country music singer had to cool off in the clink after creating a disturbance at the Hippodrome by too violently pursuing this lady grappler, Mae Young. What the fuck? I want to know who it was so bad. I really tried to look it up and I couldn't find anything. If anybody knows anything, email me? I don't know. Okay. To fast forward a few years, it's September 17th, 1965. And the ban on women's wrestling in California is lifted. But for Mildred Burke at that time, the ban didn't really matter. Because for some time at the point, Burke had been running a wrestling school for girls out of the San Fernando Valley in Reseda, which is the area that I am from for the record. The Olympic Auditorium in LA would broadcast wrestling for some time at this point, and Burke's school had been kind of a straight shot from one to the other for the girl wrestling in the area for just a couple of years, and it didn't last very long because either two things went down. Either the quality of the girl wrestlers was low, which I don't think is true, or there were just some really shitty politics at the time. But either way, dun-dun-dun, it resulted in... Lillian Ellison, the fabulous moolah, taking over the booking for the region. And of course, if she's going to be there, moolah would have her friend May come in and she debuted at the Olympic on April 17, 1967. In the same year, May Young opened a wrestling school 
at the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, so Mildred's school kind of just shut down. May's school in Santa Monica didn't last too long itself, but one person of note that was there was Lita Marez, who was all Japan women for some time, which is interesting. Um, and along with both Mays, Young and Weston, they were three of the first women to ever take part in a battle royal, I guess, which is kind of interesting. And I know I literally said this about something else, but once again, I feel like that would be a really good limited series, like Mildred Burke School in the greasy San Fernando Valley, Mula kind of swooping in, usurping her ass, and I think it'd be good. Hire me, fuck. But it's okay that May's school didn't last for too, too long because the next year, or two years later, in 1968, May got another shot at a women's championship. She became the National Wrestling Alliance United States Women's Champion. And as the 60s became the 70s, May would do some string pulling for her friend Moolah. I say this because apparently it was actually May who was the reason that Moolah was put into contact with Vince McMahon Sr. He called May for her opinion on Moolah and the girls that she was training, and May gave him her advice to go with her. I haven't really read or seen anything that points towards people saying May was, like, kind of corrupt in the ways that Moolah was, but I genuinely have no clue. But either way, for a very long time after this, May and the wrestler Diamond Lil were Moolah's right and left-hand ladies. And it was a good place to be because Moolah seemed to kind of monopolize the whole women's industry and kind of was the harbinger of all in the end. Women like Wendy Richter, Luna Vachon, Leilani Kai, Princess Victoria, and many others, to be honest, have previously divulged just how shitty it could be there from the 70s into the 80s. And it's kind of shitty and it's gnarly, but there's a really good Dark Side of the Ring episode on the fabulous Moolah herself where a lot of those women actually speak for themselves if anyone is interested and hasn't already seen it because I imagine many of you have. To move forward, as time tends to do, I saw in some places that during parts of the 80s and early 90s, May Young worked as a manager in the Portland, Oregon indie scene, and that she worked a gimmick as the manager of male wrestlers, where she would go like kind of face-to-face -face with these authority figures throughout the promotion, and on the website TV Tropes, which I'll source below, um, they describe her appearance at this time as, quote, she wore power suits and a perm that could deflect a crowbar. And kind of surprisingly, in the early 90s, May quit wrestling. Um, and this time it was to take care of her ailing mother. But, I mean, quitting did bring back a similar feeling, I guess, to the last time she had, because she did take the opportunity to return to her previous endeavor and once more became an evangelical preacher. But when her mother did pass away, May moved across the country to live with Moolah and Diamond Lil in Columbia, South Carolina at Moolah's commune. I believe that this is where she stayed for the rest of her life. As we get into this time in her life, um, I want to talk about a theory that people have, which is that she was gay. 
I don't know if she and Moolah were together because that's the idea. The idea that, you know, they lived together for so long. I mean, I know Diamond Lil lived there too. Were they in a throuple? Maybe. I'm not sure. But it wouldn't be too shocking for Moolah specifically because other lady wrestlers throughout her career would sometimes say she coerced them into sex, which isn't really a, I wouldn't say, a sexuality thing. That's more of a power thing. But even some lesbian wrestlers like Susan Green and Sandy Parker talked about her making passes of them and subsequent blackballing if they didn't comply, which is once again a power thing. I don't know. But I don't want to speak too out of line because I genuinely have no idea Um, The speculation, of course, is just there because May was never married. The closest that she ever got to men was literally hitting them. So people thought maybe she was gay, but I genuinely have no idea. Maybe she was asexual also. So while they were all scissoring in Columbia, I'm just kidding, you guys. I'm just kidding. In the 90s, Moolah started the Ladies International Wrestling Association, Liwa Omei while there, was still taking bumps, getting knocked around, and she was still being billed as the queen or as always the great Mae Young, and this was out of Las Vegas for a time. And because of Mae's relationship with Moolah and Moolah's relationship with WWF, Mae was destined to have a little bit more time in her limelight. Or the other way around. Over time, being friends with Moolah proved to be beneficial to May's career. In 1999, in front row at a SmackDown event, Jeff Jarrett attacked Moolah and May, and it started the two on a very weird journey. To this time in May's life, the director Ruth Lightman says, This is a business that you have to love, and if you love it, you live it. You move along with it. You grow along with the entertainment as it grows, unquote. And May really seemed to be the type of person that just loved this industry and truly wanted to grow with it. It seems rare in like an entertainment setting like this that evolves so much for someone to be able to find themselves in that evolution like so many times over. It's crazy. But space in the Attitude Era wrestling was made for May and Moolah. Something that also didn't hurt at this time is that May just seemed to be the type of person that loved a spectacle. The sexual storylines that seemed to kind of be aligned with her personal sense of humor. When we look back to her yelling, hey, fuck face at greetings and her sexually influenced moves that she had in the ring... We can look back to that signature move in her early days, the Bronco Buster. Not for injuring her opponent's body, but for embarrassing them, grinding on them, scandalizing the audience. And her mortifying the audience, as she always has done, is even more intensified because she's in her late 70s doing this same thing now and you know societal expectations of women over the age of like 60 are abysmal and we barely think about women that are that age so having women on tv that are they're in their you know late 70s and early 80s like they were was incredibly cool and her subversive acts like in turn become 
even more subversive somehow. And she gave a few people in the WWF that Bronco Buster, like Eric Bischoff. May was perfectly fine with that throughout her career, so that moment in WWF lights and the crazy storylines she was a part of just aren't that surprising when looked at with context. For example, she was in an evening gown match with Ivory where she stripped down to her underwear. She had a storyline with Mark Henry where they're in bed while she smokes her famous cigars in her bra and underwear, just like what Pat Patterson saw her walk through his front door in. And in later interviews, May expresses just how great Mark is and what a sport he was at the time. But naturally, in the storyline, because of that moment between the sheets, between Mark and May, May fell with pregnancy. In the very long lead-up to the birth on the show, everybody was definitely curious what would appear out of May's retired womb. And she naturally, of course, what would you think different would happen? She gave birth to a prosthetic hand. That was all. One of the crazier moments in WWE history that still baffles people. In an interview about that, she says that she basically had no fucking clue what was going on, just as much as the audience, that it was really just written in the script, so she did what she was told to, and she genuinely did think it was funny. (laughs) But May would get drunk in storylines, and in interviews later describe how she hadn't drank in 30 years at that point, but she really liked to play a drunk. And the storylines went on to her wanting to strip all the time because she had gotten super drunk all the time. And she entered the bikini contest at the Royal Rumble in 2000. There was a horrible moment in a Viscera and Hardcore Holly match where Hardcore Holly refused to give her a soft bump, even though she definitely wanted him to give give her his all. And... He gave her a rough clothesline. I will link in the sources the video that you can see. But even more than that time, there is, of course, the absolutely legendary moment with the Dudley boys powerbombing Mae Young through a fucking table. Hey, wait a minute! What the hell? No! No! No, for God's sake, don't get out! And they didn't just do this one time. They did it on two separate fucking occasions. Once inside the ring and one out. It's crazy. Such an iconic moment in Attitude Era history, in wrestling history in general. About this time, May said in an interview that, you know, she wanted to do all of this because Vince would never ask someone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And although I think that is definitely untrue, I still think he's a horrible yardstick, May. That guy has done some real fucked up shit. I don't think that you would have to do everything he does. But May had a very traditional view of wrestling because of her position in the industry. She would go to any length to tell a story and get an angle across and would barely fight back or rarely fight back, I apologize, against like a promoter's wishes because... That was how it was when she came of age in the business, and as a woman saying no would probably result in a quick firing, it seems like. 
And it seems they were also fond of the, like, if you don't do it, there are 10 girls on this block that would, which is a manipulative way of conducting business, but say la vie, bitches. About the wrestlers working in the Attitude Era, May says that the men and women were always very sweet to her and reverential, it seems. Trish Stratus said that she actually used to tell May that she wanted to be just like her when she grew up, which I think is very sweet. May was also doing smaller promotions at this time. There's a video of her in 1999 coming out at MPPW, Memphis Power Pro Wrestling, where she tries to fight a wrestler named Stacy. She tries to hit fans with her cane. She hits Stacy with her purse, then fakes a heart attack, and it's pretty incredible. After this time, May was approached to be a part of a documentary called Lipstick and Dynamite. About trying to get her a part of it, the director, Ruth Lightman, says it took her over a year to persuade Young to appear on the film. And she finally won her trust by engaging in a wrestling demonstration with May. About this, Ruth says, quote, She taunted me. She challenged me. I was completely out of my comfort zone. Miss Young was approaching 80, and it was all in fun, but even then, I was no match for her at all. She had a death grip. About the documentary later, May says that she really enjoyed it, and she thought it was good when she watched it back, but even now, when she looks back at it, she thought that they could have gone even further and done even more. In 2004, May was inducted into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is pretty incredible. And in an interview a few years after that induction, May talks about wrestling. It's the year 2008, and about it, she says that wrestling is as good as it's ever been. She makes a joke about how the wrestlers back in her day would throw a guy in a hammerlock for a whole 15 minutes and that it was just too boring. And it's better because now there's so much more action, so much more fast paced, and she thinks it's more entertaining. And she says that even when she has not been working, she still watched Raw and SmackDown every single week, thinking she might learn something new. And in 2008, that same year, May was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is very incredible. And after that, in 2013, May celebrated her 90th birthday on Raw and was given a special Divas belt, which I think is hilarious for some reason that she got the Divas belt. Like, she's May Young. <laughs> but just after that, on January 14th, 2014, May Young passed away. Following her funeral services, she was buried in a mausoleum in a Green Lawn Memorial Park next to Lillian Ellison, her friend, the fabulous moolah. Pictured on the, the mausoleum doors is a photo of the two of them in their younger days. May really wanted to wrestle Stephanie McMahon's daughter on her 100th birthday, but she passed when she was 90. But on March 12th this year, it'll be when she t would have turned 100. And I hope she's dropped kicking someone wherever she is, freaking them out with a Bronco Buster and walking through their front door in her chonies, smoking a cigar. The WWF tried to make the Fabulous Moolah tournament, but fans said no, 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 no. After certain things had come to light about the ways she had treated her 
women wrestlers, trainees, and the students that she had living with her, people were uncomfortable with the idea of naming something after her. And to meet the, the fans at their demands, I guess, the WWE officials and, you know, the, the writers and everybody decided that they would name it the May Young Classic, which I think is very sweet, and I think that she deserves something to be named after her. The two people who have won it are Kyrie Sane and Tony Storm, which I think is amazing. And, you know, Tor- Tony Storm, when you think about it, even does a little bit of an evolved Bronco Buster now. Her hip attack in the corner is vicious, snaps her opponent's head into the bottom turnbuckle in, like, a frightening fashion. And I feel like May would be so excited to see it and to know that this person won a title in her name. So this is where I'm going to end it. I had so much trouble putting all this together because I was so overwhelmed by the information and I just wanted to do as well as possible. But I, there's so much shit to talk about about this woman that I just don't think I could get it all. But from the life of a cotton mill worker when she was 14 to wrestling with Ed the Strangler Lewis and confronting Billy Wolf about Mildred Burke's inaptitude in the ring to being the first woman to wrestle in Canada, the first woman to headline a show in Japan, to getting arrested, to getting arrested again, (laughs) to being an evangelical preacher, to being a teacher to being a friend, to being a bunch of shit, to being a person who gave birth to a prosthetic hand. (laughs) She did a lot. And I think she's a super interesting person, and I hope you did too. I hope that you enjoyed listening, and I hope that you'll come back and listen again. Thank you so much. (laughs) 